Hey everyone, what's going on? My name is Stephanie Graham. I'm an artist and filmmaker, and I'm also an extremely curious person. Some will go as far as to say that I am nosy as the, the nerve. <laughs> I started this podcast because I wanted to interview people. I'm not just talking to anyone either. I'm talking to people who are in the thick of what they do. I want to know how they live their life and how they get things done so that I could apply some of their savvy to my own life. I'm sharing this with you so that you too can do the same. We can do it together. We all gotta start somewhere, and if you're not looking for practical info, stick around anyway, because my guests are fascinating, and it's my goal to get to the bottom of their shh. I mean, aren't we all just a little bit curious of what it's like to live someone else's life? And if we do it the same? There are also times when I will feel called to catch up with you one-on-one and let you know about what's going on with me, either in life or with my art practice. You didn't think I'd get the dirt on all these cool people and not let you know what's going on with me, did you? I mean, I'm a Libra. We believe in balance. Listen, I am a big believer that even though we are all different, we can still find ways to relate to each other. It's time to get down to business, so welcome to the Nosy AF Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I thought to, you know, I just want to say something. It's very dark out here. It is very dark out here. The world is, uh, it's insane. And I am just taking time to learn more about what's going on with Israel and Palestine. Um... I'm so thankful to the patience of my friends and colleagues who have allowed me to ask questions while I research and form opinions. It's really dark because on top of that, in Chicago, we have a migrant crisis, I guess is what they're calling it. And it is a crisis. I mean, we have tons of migrants here. They have no place to live. They're living in tents and they're all over and there are arguments about where they should go, um, them seeking preferential treatment over the unhoused population that's already been here. It's just overwhelming, 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 overwhelming. And everyone has points. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm definitely one of those people that's like, everybody should have a house. But it just seems as simple as that is to say, for some reason, it's so complex to say too. So I don't know. It's just really wild. It's just really wild and a lot and a lot. And um, yeah, I don't even know what else to say outside of that. But I really hope that you are taking care of yourself and that you're taking time to um, learn and rest And, you know, I do have some good news to share on top of today's uh, podcast episode. I sort of had, not sort of, I did have a unauthorized or like unpromoted, I guess, (laughs) unauthorized. I'm trying to use like all these like fancy words, but like I, I had a field trip for Nosy AF. We, a group of us went to go see Sherry Rush's exhibition, Sherry Rush and Jared Betts had an exhibition at the Epiphany Center for the Arts here in Chicago. Nareet, who listens to the podcast, hey Nareet, 
reached out to me when I threw out an offer to go see the exhibition. Amanda, the producer, had hit me up first, like, I want to see the exhibition. Nareet's like, I want to see it. And so I put out an email to some other colleagues. I was like, hey, who all wants to go see Sherry's show? And we all went. And it was a really nice afternoon. Uh, the director of Epiphany gave us a tour of the other exhibitions that were going on in the space. And then Epiphany Center for the Arts, they have a bar and a happy hour and food. And so after that, a few of us stayed to just continue to have conversation about what we're up to and our art practices and things that we're thinking about. And it was a nice evening. So if you are in Chicago, that's definitely sort of a spot that uh, you should check out for sure. They have shows, they have art, they have cocktails, food. I mean, what more can you ask for? Um, the parking is sort of whack, though. I'm not going to lie. Like, you got to park in the neighborhood, which is permit parking. And then they had an event going on, and valet was $25. Like, that's what I'm saying. Inflation, it's just too much going on. $25? Anyway, listen, let's get into today's conversation. Hello, my ever so curious friends. Welcome to another exciting episode of Nosy AF. I am Stephanie, and today we're diving deep into the artistic heart of Newfoundland and the pulsating art scene that has blossomed from its rich heritage. Our guest today is not just any ordinary guest. He's a man of many talents with a history as vibrant as the artworks as his gallery hosts. James Baird, born in St. John's in 1953, has played an instrumental role in shaping the artistic landscape of Newfoundland, from establishing a chain of convenience stores, owning a bookstore, launching a newspaper to his insightful stints in federal politics, radio and TV commentary, James has embraced an eclectic range of endeavors. And y'all know I am loving that he has convenience stores or had convenience stores because I want a grocery store. However, amongst these diverse paths, let me get back to James. The most captivating feather in his cap remains the James Baird Gallery, which he founded in 1989. This gallery for over three decades has not only been a treasure trove of contemporary painting, but also a window for the world to witness the sheer brilliance of artists from Newfoundland and beyond. With the Pooch Cove residency, which by the way, you should apply for they are now accepting applications. It is a dream. I would definitely say apply if you are an artist seeking a residency. James has connected his gallery with the vibrant tapestry of national and international artists, offering them a scenic muse and refuge in Pooch Cove, a quaint town blessed with the first rays of the sun in North America, humpback whales gracing its waters and trails that echo stories of the past. So whether you're an artist, a collector, or someone like me, incredibly nosy and forever intrigued, today's episode promises a tales of art, history, and relentless pursuit of passion. So let's dive into the life, art, and legacy of James Baird and the unparalleled charm of Pooch Cove. So listen, everybody, welcome to the Nosy AF podcast, okay? James and I were just speaking about <laughs> how... <laughs> In the Catholic Church, I want to make sure we're all in here. In the Catholic Church, priests. Celibacy in the Catholic Church is a fairly recent phenomenon. For many hundreds of centuries, Catholic priests could marry and have children. And it was only when the Catholic hierarchy figured out that they, if the church, if the priests were celibate, that all their assets would go to the church, that they that they were they said to be celibate it's 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 not something that people think that was there from christ's day it's not true i mean it's like marriage is a fairly recent 
social construct. If you take 2,000 years, we've been around uh, from Catholic-wise, it's only a barely 200, 300 years that marriage was even, I think. And, and we talked about dating. I mean, you, you were talking about Chicago and North America and everybody dated. Well, you know, India, they didn't date. They're all arranged marriages. They didn't even see the, the people that they were going to marry onto their wedding day. And then they were veiled, and that's the veil comes off, and surprise, we have a winner. Wow. I feel, you know, in the Bible they say, I don't know where, but it says, the Lord says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. So how dare the Catholics? Uh, well, let's start off. The Lord says, the Lord didn't say anything that. Some white guy or some actually Middle Eastern guy wrote this stuff hundreds of years after Christ died. And, and no one knows who did it. And that's me copied and copied and rendered and changed and edited and added to, et cetera, et cetera. This is not the word of God. This is nonsense. Some guy writing this stuff. And I say guy, and I mean man, right? Which is why the, the women have always been oppressed, because the guys were writing it. This world is a crazy place. You all, we are here with James Baird, James Baird Gallery. He runs the Pooch Cove Residency, of which I've been a resident for since the month of May and uh, getting ready to go home now. And I'm so glad that you decided to sit down, that you agree to sit down with me. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. Would you have said, I'm glad you didn't say no, I would have been so embarrassed. No, I just basically say yes to everything. And that is a question I want to ask you. You told me through our two, uh, no, three, this is our first time, fourth time meeting, hanging out, that you always come from a place of yes. Can you talk about that more? Like, where'd that come from? It's a lot easier than saying no, right? And you, most of the time when you say yes, okay, you give the people what they want. I live in Newfoundland. Okay. And if I need help with something, I'll just go, Hey buddy, can you give me a hand? And they'll say yes. So when people say they're coming to Newfoundland, I say, come visit, come stay, come visit, you know, come for dinner, etc. And people say that I'm sure in Illinois or in Texas or et cetera, but they don't actually mean it. Newfoundlanders want you to show up and they'll be disappointed. They run into you three weeks later and say, well, how come you never came by? Whereas that'll never in my experience, it doesn't happen in the United States. So, so I default to yes, because it's easier. Most of the time, it never happens that they actually don't show up because something gets in the way for whatever reason. And away you go. But I'm always remember the guy said yes. Now, I do that consistently up until the time I think I'm being used. And then I will say no. And then that's the end of it. I am fairly, you know, finite in my saying yes. Some people take advantage of it. And when ultimately I dawns on me that they're I'm being taken advantage of, but then I'll just change and say no and and then they hate me. Right? So life life goes on. If you if I changed, right, and said no to all these things, none of this would have happened. And and I and the bastards would win. Right. So so how did the residency happen? Like, how did you even get into art? Do you make art? Thank God, no. There's enough mediocrity in the world. So I don't want to add to it. All right. No, there's a consistent theme throughout my life uh, about changes and things like that. And, and the one word you can distill it down to is stupidity. I co-signed a loan for a couple of boys that wanted to do a restaurant on the edge of the ocean. It didn't work out, obviously. And I had to pay the mortgage. 
And so then, okay, what do I do with the building at the end of the earth? Well, artists might like the view. And so I saw a painting in a gallery in Toronto. I wrote the artist, invited her down. She showed up with her cat and her dog, Marlon Milkweed, and her husband, and Ken. And, and then she wrote about me in an independent artist newsletter in the States. And all of a sudden, I got all these letters saying, people, I want to come, I want to come. And hilarious thing, I didn't even know what a residency program was at that stage of the game. And at that stage, there was only one other, other real residency in Canada, and that was run by the federal government in Banff. And so I was like early adapter, right? And I was the first commercial website in Newfoundland in August 93. You know, I, I'm curious about things. What interests me is what I want to do next, not what I did in the past. I think I'm really happy to be here. This is my first residency outside of, I've done like some in Chicago. So I feel a mentor was telling me, oh yeah, you need to like beef up your CV. So you need to do a residency. And then look at this, this came about. So I'm like super happy to be here. I Yeah, I did thank Sherry for that because I like it because I love at your gallery. It's so much painting. Is that your focus? That's my fetish. Yes. So I was the treasurer for a theater group here locally. I've ran the bookstore for 20 years. I dealt with lots of writers and publishers. I've done concert promotions and financed albums and even written some songs, et cetera, music. But all of these things, okay, require mediation. You will edit this conversation. You will... A book, a writer has an editor and a publisher, which mediate, and then a designer, which all get in the way between the creation and the the reader at the end. A composer requires a musician to interpret the notes and conductors, etc. But with painting, it's just one person. It's not a team sport. They're doing their thing in front of a canvas, using materials, trying to convey. Uh, or create a language out of dust and, and medium and <laughs> color, etc. So it's unmitigated. Okay, you know, you do a movie, you need all these people to make the movie happen. You do, you know, all of these kinds of things. So for me, the unique object created by one person in front of one painting, right? That's and 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 it doesn't require. I mean. Artist statements for me are the total bullshit uh, because if you can't, if you don't get the joy, the meaning, the, the life, whatever you want to call out of the painting itself, no little diatribe on this next to these paintings is going to help you do that. Now, if you're talking about historical art, yeah, this, you know, this was done in this period and all the rest of it. Fine. I respect that. But if you're a contemporary artist and you can put in text what you're trying to do, you're a writer. Shag painting. No, I mean, I feel like as an artist, you have to do all the things, right? You have to, like, I have to write my artist statement and my bio. And I, I refuse. I, I'd be very surprised you go to any of the contemporary galleries, you know, the medium galleries, et cetera. Any of these dealers read any of these statements. Nobody, they, they, they're looking at product. They're, they have to make money. So they're looking at inventory that they can sell. If the statement can help sell it, that's fine. But I've, you know, I've been at this 35 years. The number of paintings I've sold are probably on the five. People buy art. I don't sell it. 
you know, they, if you don't like the paintings, nothing out of BS that I'm going to give you is going to make you like the painting. Now, if you're buying, you know, a painting for $5 million as an investment, that's fine. But that's the game. It's art. Yeah, it's art. But it, it's not what I'm interested in. I'd love seeing people come here, totally react to the place and, and, and do as you saw next door, either say, either side of you here, how they responded to to very differently to the aesthetic that is this wild and terrible place, this marvelous terrible place, at the end of North America. Is it? Do you? Are you upset that I'm a not a painter and I'm here? No, this was not my month. We we do eighty plus residencies a year. If I'm in. If I'm the only curator, it it can be pretty. It, actually, it's a lot of bloody work, and but it's only my voice or my vision, etc. So we hand off. We have particular people, artists generally, sometimes art dealers, sometimes curators, select and put together a group for a particular month, and so them picking is them. Right, so I take no responsibility for it. That was up to them. She thought you were a good fit for this month, you know, and and away you go. So, and and again, having other people curate also means that I I see things that I probably would ignore, yeah. right? Yeah. You know that I, I just wouldn't run across. Hey, I just want to pop in here real quick to let you know that I'm an artist. I make work about social class, subcultures, race, and gender. These topics are complex, they're interesting, and they come up in my life all the time. Because I love to laugh, a lot of my work has humorous tones. I genuinely enjoy making and creating all sorts of things. My main medium is photography and film, but I also enjoy organizing art events. I would love to keep you in the loop of everything that's going on with my art exhibition. So please consider signing up for the Studio Graham newsletter at MissGraham.com slash sign up. Okay, back to the top. Well, I'm still so glad to be here. <laughs> hey, thanks, Jerry. Right. No, I will. So one thing that I have responded to here is Ridley College. <laughs> you got him in the bathroom. The yeah. This was pre-digital age. I was sent off to boarding school and going into grade eight because I was probably still am incorrigible. And I was a private school not far from Niagara Falls in Canada. I was the largest male boarding school. And I was there for basically my high school years. And the institution documented through photo our passage through their system to provide the parents who were paying these ridiculous fees that they were getting their money's worth. All right. So with my mother's passing in her basement was a half, I don't know how many's up there, a dozen photographs of me in my cricket weights or the student council or whatever nonsense they were shooting for. And they, so what do you do, throw them out? No, you don't want to throw them out. My, my, I have daughters in San Francisco and London. They have tiny homes, right? They, they don't want pictures of the old man in high school. Right? They don't want pictures of me now either, right? But the so as a consequence, I rather throw them out. I just put them in one of the bathrooms in one of the studios, and you happen to be the lucky winner this month that they're all in your bathroom. Right? Yeah, I've enjoyed uh, looking at them. What was your favorite subject in school? I always played the fool, right? I'm I'm pretty good at it. 
there is a story. There was an art teacher there. Her name was Kay Boa. And I really, she took me to, it, it, the real turning point for me was they, had, we did a field trip down to the Albright Knox Museum in Buffalo, New York. And they had a exhibition on, it wasn't a solo show, it was a group show. I couldn't tell you that all the names of the artists who were in it at that point in time, but I was just blown away. And, and that was sort of the turning point. Interestingly enough, years and years later, had a I, I was a juror for a Canadian art prize, the Royal Bank of Canada, and the this woman was at an opening which I didn't attend, and it was this my art teacher and two of the artists who had been to the residency happened to mention me in the conversation, and she remembered she she taught me all those years ago, so that was sort of a nice full circle kind of uh, thing, but. I, I love the sports, to be honest with you. I was good at the sports, and I enjoyed that. But uh, it was private school. You would just – it was the, the whole fagging system, which is probably new to your audience, but it's the British fagging system. I had to learn, going into grade 10, all the names and faces of the old boys within two weeks and ask permission to go on any floor through any door. I had to get up at 6.30 in the morning and clean the shoes and make the beds and of an old boy and, you know, all these. And there were, you know, punishments, physical hours. You had to do jumping jacks for an hour. And if you stopped, you got another hour. All right. And so, I mean, it's not quite the dark ages, but they, you know, there wasn't buggery, at least not that I was aware of. But it was very different, different world. So, yeah, my, my father's advice to me when he dropped me off, like, again, at grade eight, was, you know, don't be the first, but don't be the last. Stay in the middle of the crowd and you'll be all right. And which that was his parting shot when he, I, I can still see it in the archway of lower school. And I'd never been away from home for more than five minutes. Right. And this was like, good luck there, everybody. You're a survivor. <laughs> Well, That's intense. I, I was I wasn't alone. There was there there you know there was three hundred other guys or two hundred fifty other boys at various ages. And, but it was it was it was an era. It was, you know, it still happens in particular institutions. But it's it's an elite thing. There's no question about it. it. Cost a lot of money then. It costs even more now. And you know you think you're well off, and then you you see meet some of these. Some of my classmates could buy and sell my parents. Not that I'm not talking about their parents could sell, buy and sell. They could. My classmates were far richer than my parents ever would be. And that's sort of mind boggling, you know, when you run a you know, like a teenager that has got millions. Yeah. You know. Are you familiar with Dave Chappelle and P. Diddy? I know the names. I can't say I'm, you know, conversant with their. Well, it's it just reminded me of this, like when you think what you have is great, and then you see maybe more. It was funny because Dave Chappelle, you know, is like a famous comedian. He had took his whole staff out on a yacht, and one of his comedians was like telling the story, and then P Diddy called, and they're like, "Hey, we're out on the water," and he's like, "Come on!" And so they're like, "We thought we were on a yacht, and then we pulled up on Diddy's yacht." And he had like, of course, this huge boat. And they were like laughing because even though they were on a boat, on a yacht, yeah. they were like, Dave's, Dave's yacht was like a dinghy boat. <laughs> and they were all just laughing. No, no. And, and, and there are ridiculous amounts of wealth out there. And, and basically, they are results, historically, of huge crimes. Okay? 
and they, you know, there's no, they're not geniuses. They're lucky. They made the right decision or good move and, and, and they played it well or, or whatever, but you know, they, they, they're not that much smarter. I mean, you know, they just, they right place, right time mm -hmm. and, and, and respect good for them. But the, the, the amounts of wealth that are concentrated in some of its hands now, it's just like stupid. There, the revolution is coming. You know, I honestly believe there's going to have to be a rectifying. You know, there's more wealth concentrated in fewer people, mm -hmm. and 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 it's the press, and we're being ground down, and Noam Chomsky was right, and it's it's pretty scary stuff. And AI is going to be even a greater impact on uh, on what's happening over the next little while, but. I'm old. I don't have to worry about this shit. You know, if the world's going to go down in flames, it's going to be without me. I'll be dead before that reaches. Well, then listen, for the ones that are left, do you have any, like, money tips or anything? Money tips, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, buy art, right? No, just, like, it's, there's no, a lot of it is not be dumb, right? How's that, right? Don't be stupid. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to buy into what, people are selling we you the education system in particular in the united states is about keeping people in line a non-informed stupid they want they need stupid people because people if they think intelligently they think outside the box if they think critically they're going to go what the fuck's happening here okay i mean there is systemic racism throughout the pan-sexism throughout the American justice system. And and yet, people put up with it. You know, when I say people, I'm talking about the, the great masses, if you will. They, 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 they put up with it. And why do they put up with it? Right? I have no idea. I mean, every other nation in the world, industrialization, has, has university health care. I mean, what is the problem with the United States? Are you that stupid? Well, yeah, apparently you are that stupid. I remember I was going out with this American woman and from Miami, and we were having this conversation. And I said, look, let's bring it, just keep it really simple, okay? I'll give you choice, the American system, right? Supposed choice, or everybody has health care, right? I believe that if you're sick, you know, if you get sick now today, They'll take you in the hospital. They will try and make you well. They won't ask you. They won't ask you where you're from. They won't ask you what insurance. Want. They'll make you well, right? And you won't get this ridiculous bill at the end of it because this is not about profit. This is about humans taking care of humans. And where did Americans figure that? You know, I mean, it's amazing how. We're actually watching the decline and fall of the American empire in real time. It's wild. You know, you can read about the decline and fall of the Roman empire and how that imploded. Or the British, you know, after the Second World War and the downfall of the Commonwealth. And, and there they, they ruled the, the world for hundreds of years. And, and America, their time is coming. And, and the Americans have, they're, so blissfully unaware of it. It's it's absolutely incredible. Maybe I need to move me my family to Pooch Cove. The people are, I mean, four of the residents last year moved here. Yeah. Um, 
He met Laura, who's next door. Uh, there's another one up the street. There's one in Brigus. No, the bulk of them are Canadians, and they, and they're coming for economic reasons. You can get a house here for a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. You can't do that in Toronto or Calgary. Can you do that in Chicago? You know, my place I got pretty cheap, but I and I had to fix it up. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. But 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 again, when I say a hundred next door was one hundred fifteen thousand. Sure. That was Canadian, so that's only like ninety U.S. Yeah. So it's even less. But anyway, it's it's the, the people who are moving here principally are economic refugees. Right? Yeah. Though we have a lot of Ukraine Ukrainians coming in here right now because we chartered flights and we brought them here. Uh, I mean, Newfoundland government brought them here because our population is aging and declining, and uh, so we need breeders. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> the open opportunity. You know, one last question I have. So that you sell art with your gallery, do you have, I know we were just talking about money, but do you have advice for those that are interested in art collecting? Like if somebody wants to buy work, what's your thoughts around that? Number one, the art collectors, that's, that's something galleries bullshit, right? Oh, art collectors. They don't have art collectors. The number of art collectors that these galleries have, even the high-end ones, are less than 100, less than 50, less than 10, okay, in these galleries. What you have are people who are decorating their homes, okay? They're clients, and they'll fill their home with art, and then they stop buying, okay? Now, if they're really rich and disposable income and all the rest of it, or have a second home, et cetera, et cetera, yes, they'll buy. But for the most part, they're, they, they are decorating. Okay. Now they have taken decorate with edgy stuff. They can decorate with family photographs. They can decorate with, you know, giant paintings, et cetera, et cetera. But essentially they are decorating. Then you get people that accumulate art. Now accumulating is different from collecting. Okay. okay? You have lots of people. You've been in people's homes where they got all this stuff, but there's no what come at common thread. Okay, if you actually want to collect art, write what your collecting idea is in one sentence. I collect contemporary Canadian painters of color, right? Whatever. If you can do that in one sentence and then everything you buy is based on that criteria, then you're building a collection. Okay. If you just go out and say, oh, that looks pretty, right? Oh, that looks really good. You know, and I met her down at the bar. She's hot. I'll buy that one too, right? Then that's that's an accumulation, okay? And yes, the commonality is that person collected them all, but that doesn't make it a collection. There's only one rule, buy what you love. And so what I do is I need to make sure that people are happy with what they buy. You buy a book, you don't like it, putting aside the price point. You don't like the book, you put it on your shelf, forget about it, or you give it away, or throw it out, or whatever. You buy a painting, you're going to be looking at it for the next 30, 40 years. So if you don't love it, why are you buying it? It makes no sense. So I say to you, look, you don't. if you fall out of love with this painting you're, you're getting from me, and you fall out of love with it in five years' time, bring it back. I will credit you for every cent you paid me for it. So you paid $6,000. i will give you credit $6,000 against anything else that you do love. And it gives them the reassurance that 
they are making the right decision. And, and this happens, you know, generally divorces, right? And things like that, that, you know, the new girlfriend says, I can't stand that because you bought it with your ex-wife kind of shit. But, so I'll take a step back. It's no problem. And I just want to make people happy. The fact is you're putting these things on your wall. If you don't love it, seriously, what are you doing? Right? So that's the rule. Buy what you love and you won't go wrong. And if you're, when people come down to me and say, oh, what, is this a good investment? I go, no, it's not a good investment. It's like jewelry. It's like drop, buying a new car. You drive it off the lot and boom, right? And you turn around, take it back to the dealership. It's already lost 25% of the value. No, you buy you know, investment at that point. Now, you're trying to guess what popular opinion and tastes are going to be in art in 20 years time. You know, <laughs> I, I can't do it for six months time. Yeah. You know, so we have no idea. Years ago, particular dealers would have particular, they'd be colorists. Or, you know, they, 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 all their artists would be, you know, big into color or what have you. And, and when I say that, I'm talking about the use of color and not the color of the artist's skin. But, but now, because of the internet, basically all these galleries from my level right up to Gagosian is that you want it in purple, we'll get it to you in purple. You want a big one, you want a green one, you want, you know, one to go left to right, you want abstract, you want realism. They, they, they are covering the waterfront because it's so accessible. They, you got to have the product. Now, kilometer down the road, the pavement ends at the top of the peninsula on the east coast of the most easterly province in Newfoundland in a community of a thousand people and I'm selling expensive, fine art. I can do it because of the internet and because I have the good stuff. Yeah. Right. I have what people are looking for and I sell all over the world and, and I have artists from all over the world. But again, I don't sell it. They buy it. I think that's a great place to start. You know, I'm so glad you said that because sometimes I would think like when people say art collector, art collector, I'm like, doesn't that just mean customer? Clients, customers. It's part of their BS. Thank you so much for tuning into the Nosy AF podcast with me, your host, your friend, Stephanie Graham. I'm so glad that you made it to the end of this conversation. Please kindly let me know what you thought by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening right now. You can also connect with me at nosyaf.com via the Say Hello button. And if you're curious about what's going on in my art and film life, please visit my website at missgram.com. Oh, and also, if there is someone that you're nosy about and you want me to have them on the show, please send suggestions via the same hello button and I will check them out. Until next time, thank you so much for being you and see you soon. Peace.